Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. You may have um, noticed a growing trend for two sermons. I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before. Um, If you're enjoying the two sermons, then today you'll be disappointed. Some reaction from the people would be nice. Sometimes I even crave to be heckled and for people to throw rotten things at me. It just shows that you're alive and we're in the room together. So don't restrain yourselves with uh, negative comments. Just let them fly. It will be a blessing for me. It will be like we've raised our game. Um, two things, though, uh, before I get in, into the, the one sermon, and that's that over 80 people are already coming into the prayer room over the next uh, few days, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, so don't miss out. Uh, at the end of this morning, Liam, who's gone somewhere, and Henry, who I can't find either, but th- there, they will be around publicly and can sign you up r- right now, like a timeshare, do the deal right now. And you'll get a free hug if you do sign up right now. And uh, what that will mean is it will help us understand exactly how the time and spaces are being used so we can make best use of it as we get towards the next few days. There's lots of space at night, surprisingly. uh, But there are still a few, uh, uh, what you might call the spaces that you'd pay extra money for if we were selling tickets. So they're at a convenient flight time. Uh, during the day. So the first ones to snap those up. Of course, you can snap them up even as I'm speaking right now by getting on your smartphone and finding the link on the front page. And I will think you're taking notes, which again will be a step up for me, but you'll actually just be signing up for the prayer room. But that will be all good together. If you've never come at night, can I encourage you that the effort that it takes, and it takes considerably more effort to come at night, which is why I always come at night, is well worth that sense of journeying and pilgrimage. We will have people sleeping here, so you don't need to feel anxious about coming into the building and how the whole security thing works. We'll look after that and we'll send you details of how all that will work. But the effort of getting up in the middle of the night, journeying into a space uh, to meet with God, uh, I commend it to you. And uh, if you've never done that, then this might be a good time to start. The other thing to say is that you heard the notice about church meetings. You will know we are having a lot less church meetings this year. (laughs) So I can say God loves you and can change your life. And you go, "Mm," that no more church meetings gets a raucous, spontaneous response from the people. Um, What that means, of course, is that you'll all be there on Tuesday, doesn't it? And the reason that you need to be there is that we can't have less church meetings if the church meetings we're supposed to have turn not into church meetings because not enough church members turn up to make the church meeting that was going to be a church meeting a church meeting and turned it into not a church meeting. So come, would you please, on Tuesday, and that will just help us all and oil the wheels of our life together. You with me? Right, Mark chapter 10, let's get underway. Here we go. Um, We're plowing our way through Mark. It's the shortest uh, gospel good news story about Jesus. And uh, we're at chapter 10. And it begins with a very important section on divorce and remarriage that we're not going to look at this morning. 
Uh, I will come back to it. I promise you that I will come back to look at these specific verses. They say some really important things that undergird my and our understanding of marriage, divorce, remarriage, and all of that stuff. Some really super important things for us to unpack there, but we're not going to do that today. What we are going to do today is do what we have been doing, is to step back a little bit and look at the chapter as a whole and to ask ourselves about the whole chapter. Why are all those stories there together? What's the writer telling us when he puts the pieces together of what happened in the life of Jesus? You see, we know that Jesus did many more things than are written down, that he told many more stories than the stories that we have. So what we're asking the question is, why under God's Holy Spirit did those stories get written down in this particular uh, way and put together in the way that they have? So what question underpins these various encounters that Jesus is having with people. And what is the dominating story? So we've talked about the story that unlocks truth for the rest of uh, the chapter. The dominating story here is the first one that Graham read about the children. And the question is this, who or what is your life depending on? Who or what is your life depending on? We are all depending on someone or something. All of us. We all say, maybe not out loud, but we all say in our hearts, I'm all right, my life is worth something, it's valuable or it's safe or it's secure because, because of that relationship, because of that amount of money, because of that particular job, because of the status I carry, because of the opportunity I've got, or to look at the same question From the negative, from the flip side, we might say, if only I had that relationship, that money, that status, that job, that opportunity, that gifting, that health, that talent, whatever it might be, then my life would mean something. So we're we're, we're all depending on someone or something. Let's look at the story that sparks all of this off. Verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Now, good shout for the disciples. Little children are annoying. We know that. For the first two years, you train your little child to talk and walk. And then you spend the rest of your life telling them to shut up and sit down. (laughs) And you wonder what it was all about. Children make a mess. They whinge. They break the rules. They don't conform. They tell you what they think. You look ugly in that. (laughs) Jesus has got no time for them, according to the disciples. Keep them out of the way. What place have these children got in this important stuff that Jesus is doing for his kingdom? Jesus is on a mission to save the world. You can't possibly have children involved in such a global mission. And so the disciples made their decision. Just like the woman who once sat with me in a sauna. That sounds bad, but it wasn't like that. Uh, A big glass uh, kind of sauna looking out over the pool. And she was whinging away about all the kids in the pool making a noise and splashing and jumping in and being generally irritating. I never did tell her they were my kids. (laughs) And so the disciples assume Jesus can't be bothered with them. He's got no time for the kids. Let's race ahead in the chapter. 
Because there was another person, or if you like, another group of people, that the disciples with equal speed decided that Jesus couldn't be bothered with. The story of the blind beggar who's shouting out from the roadside, and the disciples are kind of saying, shut up, shut up, shut up, he's got no time for you. Jesus is on a mission, and you're not part of it. We can sum it up like this, children and beggars, who's got time for them? Well, as it turns out, Jesus has. Jesus has time for those in the story that the other people have no time for. And by the end of the chapter, the people that get blessed, the people that receive God's kingdom, and for that we might say God's forgiveness or God's peace or God's healing or God's assurance or God's sense of value and worth, the people that get the kingdom are the very people that the disciples said he's got no time for them. Let the children leave him alone. It's totally weird. Because in that culture, they thought that the rich and the successful and those that had got their life together would be the ones that would get God's blessing. Imagine a culture being as dumb as that, thinking that it was the rich and the successful and those who've got their life together that get the blessing from God. So just as an aside for a moment, because it's quick to judge others, isn't it? Have you noticed that? What most of us learn to do is not to stop judging others, just to stop saying it out loud. Are there some people that I don't have time for that Jesus does? Are there some people that I kind of, whoa, let's just keep them over there because they can't be possibly part of what God has for me? The fantastic thing about this community is that we, you, us, connect right across the spectrums of divide, whether it be age or gender or economics or ethnicity or class or uh, education, whatever might divide, we are saying in the name of Jesus, we're going to cross it. You with me? You with me? So we have 85-year-olds getting baptized in the pool and we have 11-year-olds getting baptized in the pool. And we have some in the middle of those. You don't need to wait until you're 85. Some of you will remember on Easter Sunday, we baptized uh, Dot, 85 years of age. And the reason I'm telling you this story right now is because it's super important. Doris, not Dot, Dot's sitting over there. Um, uh, The reason I tell you this story, it's super important, is because she went to her minister when she was in her early teens and said, I want to be baptized. And he said, come back a little later. So she did. 70 odd years later, we need to be embracing of what God's doing across all the divides. You with me? And so are there some people that I don't have time for that Jesus does? And I chuck a few things out because this morning, because as part of a whole family, we have lots of smaller families that are reaching out to all kinds of different sectors of our society, all different cultures and people from all different backgrounds, and it's part of the rich tapestry to which God has called us to. But they all need your help. Feet for the street and elevenses and impact and first steps and tillywinks and lunch club, they, they all need our help. We all go, yes, it's so good because we're reaching all these, but they, they need our help. And you can't help all of them, and you shouldn't be helping all of them, but you could help one of them. So are there some people that I don't have time for that Jesus is saying, these people, 
Are there people that in my mind I could shoo away and say, I'm not sure that's part of my story. It's not part of Jesus' story in me, when actually he's saying, yes it is. Our children's work is super resourced. But I do worry that few people end up doing too much. That's certainly true of our youth work at the moment. So, hands up if you became a Christian while you were in your teens or before you were 20. Hands up. Okay, so at least half, if not more, in the room. So it's the most fertile mission period of anyone's life. Would you agree? Statistically, it's the most fertile period. We should put more resources and more energy. That doesn't mean money. That means people. More resource, more people into that ministry because it's the most fruitful. Because you know when Jesus was the farmer and he was sowing out his seed and he, and he lobbed it and we, we know about the seed falling on different, different, um, different soils. Now, if you're the farmer, where are you going to sow your seed? On the good soil. Are there some people that don't have time for that Jesus does? Anyway, back to our story. People were bringing um, children to Jesus and uh, the disciples were getting uh, uh, in the way and saying, no, 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 Jesus doesn't want anything to do with this. And, um, and Jesus rebukes the disciples. And I love, I love that Jesus uses every opportunity to teach something. And he says, verse 15, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. What were the disciples doing when that happened? Good idea, Jesus. Awkward. Unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you'll never enter it. What does it mean to receive the kingdom like a child? Well, children are dependent. Children long to grow up because they want to be independent. That's the curse of humanity. But whilst they are children, they know instinctively that they are dependent. They might act like they're not. They might act above their station. They might pretend that they know it all because deep inside they know that they are utterly dependent on those who are around them. Children have no pretense. They'll tell you straight. I've only once ever asked my kids what they thought of one of my sermons and I'll never do that again (laughs) because they'll tell me what they think. The key word here is receive. A child can only receive. They they can't bring anything to the table. They can't earn. They can't achieve in that sense because they're children. All they can do is receive what the family brings to them, what the family offers them. It's a posture of dependence. Now, maybe we can see why that relates to our question for the whole chapter. What or who is your life depending upon? And in this scenario... All the child can do is depend on the welcome of Jesus. The child cannot say, look at my great achievements, therefore bless me. Look at all that I've done, therefore bless me. Look how tall, smart, whatever it is I am. Because a child knows that there's nothing they can offer other than themselves and their open heart. So we're beginning to see this powerful picture of coming to Jesus with a recognition that when all is said and done, we've got nothing really to offer. And then we get straight into a story, verse 17, about a man who seems to have everything to offer. A rich young ruler. He's not only rich, but out of his rich, out of his money, he's made himself successful, which has given him some level of status and power. And he kind of says to Jesus, look, I've tried to live a good life to do all the right things. I'm bringing to you, Jesus, all that I have. I've got this, this money and I've got all the good things that I've been doing. 
But Jesus cuts through the whole lot and goes straight to the heart. And he says to this man, he says, the problem that you've got as you come to me is that you are depending on your wealth and not on me. You're depending on your wealth and not on me. Jesus exposes in the man's heart a wrong dependence. And so Jesus says, look, the only way that you'll end up receiving the kingdom is to just sell everything that you've got. Not because having all the stuff is bad, but he'd become dependent on having all the stuff. And soberingly, he couldn't do it. And the reason I say it's sobering is because I think in our hearts, we think, oh, well, I could do without that. I'm not really dependent on whatever it is. I could... But he found when push came to shove, he, he couldn't do it. He couldn't live without it. There were certain things that he, he felt he needed to feel who he was, to feel a sense of value and importance and significance, to feel that his life mattered. And so verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. But the man couldn't do it. So the question that this whole chapter is about, who or what is your life dependent upon? We can have dependencies, wrong dependencies, and and it might be anything. It might not be wealth for you or for me, but it might be something else. I just can't live without that. And we're putting it before a dependence on Jesus himself. Fast forward in the chapter and you get a ridiculous conversation amongst two of the disciples that are arguing about whether they can sit in the best seats when they get into heaven. Uh, Presumptuous is an understatement. So full of themselves. Can we sit in your best seats, Jesus? What are they depending upon? They're equally dependent on something to give them a sense of value and worth. They're dependent on a sense of status. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. They're depending on a sense of their own importance. Now, it might not be wealth for you, and it might not be status for you, but what is it? What is it that we think we absolutely need to depend upon in order for our lives to work? But look how the chapter ends. Look who does get the blessing. Verse 46, And they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving a city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. And we know how the story plays out. The beggar gets Jesus' attention and ends up being healed. The beggar knew that the only thing he could depend on was the mercy of Jesus. Lord, have mercy on me. Give me something I I can't earn. Give me something I don't deserve. Give me something I couldn't pay for. Give me something I couldn't uh, show enough credits in order to have acquired. I simply depend on your willingness. Just like the children who simply depended on Jesus' willingness, they get the blessing. And then you get the blind beggar who simply depended on Jesus' willingness, and he gets the blessing too. So we would be right to conclude that wrong dependence is anything, anything that we depend upon. Because when we come to Jesus, we need to come saying, actually, it doesn't matter all this stuff that I think I've got, all this stuff that I think is important. Actually, when I come to you, it counts for nothing at all. Children got it. 
Total dependence, no bargaining, no moral high ground, no persuasion, no puffed up pride, no good work credits. The blind beggar got it, no bargaining, no moral credit, no puffed up pride, no persuasion, all the rest of it. True dependence, true dependence is on Jesus. The climax in this story of the man shouting, have mercy. He recognizes that he's totally and utterly dependent on Jesus. If Jesus walked on by, the beggar could do nothing about it at all. If Jesus decided that he didn't want to bless children, the children could do nothing about it at all. The rich young ruler was asking the wrong question. See, the rich young ruler was asking, what must I do? And what's the answer to that question? What must you do? Nothing. Nothing. It's nothing that I do. I cannot do anything to earn God's grace and favor in my life. If we can't earn it, then who gets it? And that was the question in the middle that was puzzling the disciples. And they were going, well, who on earth can be saved then? If the rich people that we thought were going to get it, they don't get it. And Jesus makes it even worse. He says, you know, for rich people, it's like trying to get them through the eye of a needle in order for them to uh, come into the kingdom. uh, Well, it's impossible then. And they're in this kind of daze. Who on earth can get it? And then Jesus says, well, the truth is this. With man, it might be impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's nothing I do but it's everything God does. Isn't that brilliant? Everything God does. Which is why smack bang in the middle of this whole chapter is the third time Jesus says, I'm going to have to go to the cross. I must go. That's why I came. And it says in summary in verse 45 that he would pay the ransom. He would pay the price for it all. That Jesus himself would take on himself everything that he needs to take on himself. All that's wrong with your life and mine. All that's wrong with the world. In order that all we need to do is come willingly and openly. An invitation, whoever you are, the child, the blind beggar, or the rich man, or the one with puffed up pride. Our problem though is that we'd rather independence. We value the self-made person. Is it today the Sunday Times rich list has come out? I think it's today. I'm looking at someone who reads the Sunday Times. Uh, And what are we valuing in that moment. We're valuing those, in fact the richest person um, in that list uh, is a self-made multi-billionaire who was born in some poverty part of Manchester. Uh, And we celebrate those who have striven to the heights so that they become independent. They depend on no one. And that's why Jesus says the more independent you become, the harder it is to enter the kingdom because the kingdom is entered through a posture of total dependence on Jesus. Only Jesus. The child says, I'll do it myself. Because the sin, the wrong that's built within us is that we long to become independent when we were built to be dependent. It's not just children that strike Um, want to be independent is it I mean older people want to be independent too and one of the hardest things is losing our independence there's an older person that I love dearly who drove all the way to Ipswich following my written instructions with the sat nav on the back seat why didn't you use the sat nav I didn't want it to think I couldn't do it by myself That independence is in us all. And Jesus says, it's the children that enter the kingdom of God. 
because they know that they come with nothing and it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And the invitation today is to recognize that however much we have, it's here today and gone tomorrow. We cannot depend on it at all. But there is someone here with open arms. That whatever the world says, whatever anyone else might say, oh, he's not interested in you, it's absolute rubbish. Because Jesus welcomes you, just like he welcomed those children, if we come willingly into his presence. Let's be quiet for a moment. And let's stand together, shall we? We're going to sing in a moment a song which says, uh, I'm going to put my trust in you. I might want to stand. (laughs) Thank you. It's a song that says, I'm going to put my whole trust in you when things are good, when things are bad. So let's just uh, be still for a moment as the band start praying, playing. Father God, the invitation you give us is to come and follow you. The invitation that you gave those children was to come and I'm sure you welcomed them with open arms. The invitation you give to each of us right now is to come and meet our loving Father. And so as we sing this song, we sing it as a prayer. We're going to trust you forevermore going to trust you forevermore and as we say that may those words go from our mouth to our hearts may they go from our heart into our lives and may we live a life that shows we're trusting you forevermore that we're dependent upon you and you alone let's sing together